You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. I really do. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin and anywhere. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. It is our crossover Wednesday. Packers Bears, Lauren Cox, is on the program, the host of Locked on Bears, one of my favorite guys to talk to when it comes to these crossover shows and just football in general. Lauren's a a really smart guy and also just a really nice, great guy. Uh, Before we get into the rest of what we have to get to on the show today, I want to let you know uh, there's a really cool event if you're going to Packers Bears and we announced the winner of our of our Brewtown Trading Co. ticket giveaway yesterday on the show. And if you're going to the game, if you're going to be at Packers Bears at Lambeau and you don't know what to do about a tailgate, StubHub is throwing a big party, an authentic backyard Lambeau tailgate experience, indoor, outdoor spaces, just steps away from Lambeau, unlimited food, brats, burgers, curds, chili, uh, unlimited beverages, local craft beer, a Bloody Mary bar. I mean, come on now. I mean, how much How much more can you really want? You can go to StubHub. Uh, you can find that event. You can buy tickets to it. It's going to be a great time. I highly recommend you check that out. Before we get to Lauren, though, there's two things I want to talk about. The first thing I want to get to is a, we'll call it a report, because Skip Bayless said on his Fox Sports 1 show that he got a text from someone he trusts. So a source, this is a source, says that Odell Beckham, who it's already been reported widely, multiple big-time NFL reporters, Jay Glazer, among them have said Odell Beckham has privately wanted out of Cleveland that he has told several teams, players, coaches in pregame to come get him, to trade for him, and that this has been a struggle for him in Cleveland. Skip Bayless, I understand your mileage on this may vary, said a source told him his preferred destination is with the Green Bay Packers specifically so that he can play with Aaron Rodgers. Now, whether or not you believe this is sort of irrelevant because Skip Bayless is reporting it. And so it was a it was a huge talking point on Twitter yesterday, talk radio. And so I felt like it was something we needed to discuss on the show. It was something that I tweeted about. And I didn't tweet about it to to try and, you know, start a whole thing. I didn't honestly even expect it to blow up in the way that it did. But Could this even work? Could the Packers even pull off something like this? 
And as I dug into the, the Odell Beckham contract, it's actually pretty easy. Because after the season, Cleveland could move on, whether it's even just releasing Odell Beckham or trade him, and under $3 million is on the cap. OBJ is on the books for four more seasons on this deal. He just signed a five-year, $90 million contract. In 2020, he's on the books for 14, 2021, 14 and a half. And then 2022, 2023, it goes down to 13.75, 13.75. Those are almost certainly going to be restructured given, you know, if he continues to stay healthy and produce. This is a fascinating moment in time for the Packers to have something like this surface because Cleveland is a disaster. Freddie Kitchens has been a dumpster fire. And, I mean, who could have possibly predicted that that would happen? John Dorsey has a history of taking risks on players who have sordid backgrounds. Brought in Kareem Hunt after he was released in Kansas City for a videotaped assault of um, a woman in a hotel. Obviously, he was the guy that drafted Tyreek Hill despite the, the really... Just damning, devastating, ugly situation that he was in with domestic violence and and assaulting his pregnant girlfriend. Dorsey's made it pretty clear that you know his his standard for these things is the bar is low. If you're talented, Antonio Callaway had an ugly background in college. This is a different situation because Odell Beckham is a malcontent. And yes, he's a diva, and yes, he is passionate, and yes, he can be inconsistent in his play, in his effort. He is a mercurial player. He's also really good. And he hasn't been this season because the Browns haven't been, and those things go hand in hand. One of the reasons the Browns haven't been great is because he hasn't been great. So if the if the Browns move on from everyone this offseason and they bring in a new regime, isn't it possible that OBJ becomes collateral damage. Let's say they bring in Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy says, look, you brought me in. I don't, this guy is just, he's not going to be about the right stuff, so let's move on. Is it possible that a circumstance like that could come to pass? Yes, it is. Could Green Bay be interested? That is a separate question, but certainly they have the draft capital to do it. And their, their financial flexibility, depending on who you think is absolutely must sign, what the plan is at right tackle, for example, and what they want to do with, you know, we're pretty sure they're going to move on from Jimmy Graham, probably going to move on from Lane Taylor, likely won't bring back Tremont Williams. So there's a lot of money that could suddenly free up. We just got an update that the cap is going up again in 2020. And we should not expect a decline there anytime soon. This is all workable. And with the window on Aaron Rodgers closing, this is the kind of win-now move that also maintains their flexibility because they could cut him at any time, given the way the contract is structured, and not have to worry about dead cap, not have to worry about leftover guarantees. This is a a low downside scenario if you think your locker room and leadership and coaching is strong enough to handle it, strong enough to, to, to get him in and not fall in line because I hate using that kind of phrasing. It's not about him falling in line. It's about him buying in. 
It's about him wanting to work hard and compete. It's about playing with Devontae Adams, a peer that that he respects, that he's friendly with, and a quarterback that he apparently, reportedly, that's the caveat we have to use, reportedly wants to play with. Now, I wanted, I wanted to talk about that as an entryway to talk about this because there have been, and, and we have discussed it, discussions on Packers Twitter, discussions in the media, and frankly, I'm sure discussions internally about this question of Aaron Rodgers uh, and his future. And Ben Fennell has been someone over at The Athletic who has been preaching that Aaron Rodgers needs to change the way that he plays, that his thing is, you know, Aaron Rodgers' highlights are from the pocket. And so this improvisational style, that you know, the, the holding of the ball, it is not sustainable for an aging quarterback. Here is what I found when I went and looked at the numbers. I, by the way, I think Ben's right about that. I think Aaron Rodgers' highlights are from the pocket, and he needs to make sure that that maintains itself as he gets older. On the other hand, this season, as opposed to last season, when Aaron Rodgers holds the ball, he is significantly more effective. When Aaron Rodgers holds the ball past two and a half seconds, he has a passer rating of 108. That is tied with Lamar Jackson. Second only to Kirk Cousins in football among regular starters. One of the reasons that those are the two other names on the list is because those are heavy play action teams. Kirk Cousins passes the ball in under 2.5 seconds among the lowest rate in football. Aaron Rodgers uses play action this season much more than he has in years past. In fact, they're about league average this year using using play action last year and the year before that. They were bottom of the barrel. But last year, Rodgers was good on quick throws. Passer rating over 100 and bad when he held the ball. This year, it's the other way around, and the gap is even bigger. Part of that is design. This offense thrives on shot plays. Why are these two topics related? Odell Beckham is one of the best shot play players in football. All right, so why is he not as effective this year in the quick passing game? Well, one of the reasons is they have not been utilizing a lot of the staples of the West Coast offense as often in terms of the the three-step drop quick pass game, the short drop. They've they've done a great job with screens, some of the cool receiver screens and, and receiver screens on one side to running back screens on the other side, some of the RPO stuff. That's all cool. But when Rodgers is able to just throw a slant to Devontae Adams, that's money and has been money for as long as those two have been playing together. And we haven't really seen it. Now, part of that's Devontae is still working his way back from injury and and was out for a month. They're still figuring that part of it out. Imagine this offense with Odell Beckham Jr. His ability to win, by the way, and take a slant 80 yards to the house, but also Imagine if it's not Alan Lazard or MVS running those deep posts, those shot play calls. It's someone like OBJ, someone who Rodgers almost can't outthrow, someone who tracks the ball as anyone we've seen in recent memory. There are inconsistencies. There are, there are dramatics to worry about. Sure, he would make this offense better. But the Rodgers part of this is important too. 
because Rodgers has one of the best passer ratings in the league throwing the ball down the field. He also is one of the most efficient quarterbacks when he holds the ball. That means as a shot play quarterback, he's been much better this year than he was last year. What they haven't really been able to get going is that rhythm short passing game, that catch it and fire, catch it out of shotgun. You know, it's really a one or a two-step read from under center. They're they're running almost no three-step. The three-step drop is, is kind of going the way of the dodo in the NFL in general. But from the shotgun, those sort of catch and fire throws, they haven't been there. And part of that is because really the only guy who can win that way is Devontae Adams. They had to go to these running backs running those routes because they're more adept at moving that way. So I guess I'll, I'll bring this all together by saying this. OBJ is reportedly interested in playing in Green Bay. From a football standpoint, it is exactly the kind of player, even if you, even if you reduce the degree of quality, even if it's 75% of OBJ, because obviously any team is going to benefit from having Odell Beckham on it from a football standpoint. But from a traits standpoint, the ability to create big plays and the ability to get open early with run after the catch possibilities, that is something this offense lacks and has lacked all season, has lacked really since prime Randall Cobb. Someone like OBJ, and maybe it's in the draft, this is an incredible receiver draft, and there are a bunch of dudes even even in the second round who could fit that bill, someone who can win early, who can make those slants killer who could win on a receiver screen and and win on a jet sweep, who can kill you in the middle of the field with their ability to work open on crossers and digs. I think that's something that Green Bay is going to look at this offseason. We talked about it yesterday with Maggie Loney, and it's something that could really take this offense to the next level. And if you're having problems taking your love life, in the bedroom in particular, to the next level, BlueChew.com can help. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. BlueChew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office and wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. It eliminates all of the awkwardness you might otherwise encounter from going and buying this kind of product. That shouldn't stop you from getting the kind of results you're looking for. So go to bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code locked on. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. It is time for yet another crossover Wednesday with our old friend Lauren and Circumstances have changed a lot since we last talked. Yeah, the, the the stakes continue to go higher, but the Bears' chances continue to go lower. But I think they're still <laughs> going to really treat this like a playoff game, like the game of their season. And I think there's going to be a, a real intensity to this game, similar, I think, to some of the Week 1 intensity. But like you said, very different paths to getting here. It is the game of their season in some ways. I mean, their their season is on the line here. If they lose this game, it becomes essentially impossible to to find a route to the playoffs, right? Yeah, the, their best they could finish if they lose this game would be 9-7, and seven, and then they would need the Rams to lose out, and they would need the Vikings to lose out to be able to even have a shot at it. So this is must-win Chicago Bears football, whereas, you know, the Packers— 
they're playing for some seeding and they're playing for staying ahead of the Vikings in the division race. There's there's some real stakes there, but not quite the existential stakes that the Bears have. There's been a lot of existential discussions that have gone on over the course of this season with the Chicago Bears. I don't have to tell you that, certainly. I'm sure you've been having a lot of them. But the last few weeks, the offense in particular has been, I don't know if taking steps is the is the right way to phrase it, but they've, they've certainly looked better. Mitch Trubisky played one of his best games of the season, if not his best game against the Cowboys. What has been different to you as you look at what's gone on offensively for the Bears these last few weeks? Some of it just has been Mitchell Trubisky, I don't want to say turning a corner because it it doesn't feel like it's necessarily, we're, no one's sure whether this is real and sustainable or whether this is a stretch of playing against bad defenses because that's sort of the other side of this coin. Right Out of their last five games, it's been the Lions twice, the Giants, and the Cowboys, and they haven't necessarily been defenses that have challenged a quarterback in the ways that Mitchell Trubisky struggles, right? He's had a lot of fairly predictable defenses. You know, the Lions just line up in man coverage all the time, almost all the time. I mean, more than 60% of their snaps, and he doesn't have to think about what kind of coverage they're in and go through some of the mental processing that's been a little bit more difficult for him. And same with the Cowboys last week. They're a team that just plays a lot of single deep safety, and they're not really disguising a lot of what they're doing pre-snap, which allows Trubisky to not have to think and can just kind of play and throw and not get baited into poor decisions nearly as often. So it seems like perhaps this stretch of opponents may have just been exactly what he needed to have a successful stretch. But then the question is, once he starts playing a defense like Green Bay that will disguise quite a bit, particularly at the line of scrimmage, like we saw back in week one, where the Bears just had no idea what was going on in the Packers' front for most of that game, this will sort of be the real measure of like, okay, did Mitchell Trubisky take some real steps in these previous games, or was it purely reflective of the opponent? Yeah, and the, and the bad news for Mitchell Trubisky and the, and the Chicago front is that Green Bay's front is playing just as well, if not better, than they were in that Week 1 game. They're using Zadarius Smith in new and interesting ways. I think Rashawn Gary is playing a lot better than, than he did early in the season. He didn't really play in that Bears game. So I think it's going to be a lot of the same. I want to talk about the running game, though, because David Montgomery was someone who came into the season with a lot of expectations. I know Bears fans were really high on his prospects. There were certainly plenty of uh, people, even in, in Packers media, who wanted Green Bay to draft him. What what has been different from him? Because it seems like they've been able to manufacture the running game much better lately than they were earlier in the season. I think a lot of that has been reflective of the rest of the offensive success that mm. because the passing game has been more of a, a consistent threat and because the offensive line has been able to get some confidence from that and defenses haven't been able to key in on the run as much, I, I think it's it's left some more opportunities for David Montgomery. I mean, it's been a combination of that and just giving him more carries. It's been a struggle for Matt Nagy to not avoid the running game and to not just get too pass heavy. So you know, I think some of it's as the season goes on, he gets a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more smart and he is taking yards rather than trying to make a big play every time. But it, it's still very much a work in progress with him and it hasn't really ever taken over a game to really be that true 
you know, carry the load offensively. They've still had to be, uh, they still want to be a pass-heavy team. They still rely on Mitchell Trubisky throwing a lot, which isn't necessarily always the the go-to strategy. But I, I think they look at a matchup like this with Green Bay and, and see, you know, some teams have had some pretty good success rushing on them. I know they, they were able to shut down Saquon Barkley, but a, a lot mm. of teams have been able to kind of slow him down this season. Yeah. But, you know, Washington last week had some success running the ball, and I look back in previous weeks, and there were, there were some bigger rushing performances. But it seems like they've also settled down a little bit from where they were early in the season. How does that, where's that area sort of stand as their front seven is, is sort of coming together? Well, I think it's a couple different things. Number one, they're more comfortable with their defensive line rotation. Um, number two, they have a nickel safety playing that that hybrid linebacker spot that they feel much better about in Ibrahim Campbell, and that allows them on the back end to play with their two safeties. Darnell Savage has been hurt for stretches, um, and then this is now their third nickel safety linebacker hybrid player that that they've had to go to because of injury. So Raven Green played really well in that Bears game in week one. He gets hurt. They have to go to Will Redmond. He doesn't play well. Now they're on to Ibrahim Campbell, who I think I think would have been the starter there had he been healthy in the preseason. So it's give them, given them a lot more flexibility. Mike Patton wants to be multiple. He wants to give a lot of different kinds of looks. He wants to mix personnel. So that's certainly something that he did last year in week one against Mitch Trubisky. He used Josh Jackson to say, we're going to treat Tariq Cohen and Trey Burton as receivers, and we're going to put a cornerback on him. Maybe that's something that they do again in this game. I, I don't know. It's something that we'll look for. All right, we're going to get back to Lauren in just a second. But before we do, I want to talk to you about DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, back to Lauren. In terms of of the Bears' defense, that is clearly the identity of this team. It has it was what carried them last year. I look at their pressure rate numbers: twenty third in total pressure rate. Khalil Mack has not been the dominant player he was last year. They've been without Akeem Hicks. Roquan Smith is now on the IR with a with a muscle injury, and Kyle Fuller has just not been nearly as good as he was last year. Yet overall, the defensive numbers are still pretty good. So, what's going on with this defense? Well, the Akeem Hicks injury, I think, has been... It's hard to measure the exact impact, mm-hmm. but it feels big. And tentatively, he'll return from injured reserve for this game. That's the plan the Bears are trying to do for this. I mean, we're waiting to see how much he's going to practice this week. He returned at a limited basis last week and is eligible to return. This is the first game he can return from. So at, at this point, I'm tentatively expecting them to activate Akeem Hicks like Saturday, you know, at the last possible minute and <laughs> and give him ready to go. But he's not going to be able to play, I don't think, a full load of snaps. So we're not going to see the defense get right back to, you know, the full-on Akeem Hicks. But it has been a struggle, especially for guys not named Khalil Mack as well. I mean, he, he hasn't been making as many of the, the big, splashy impact plays as we've seen in the past, but there just hasn't been really that consistent other guy and we've seen uh, Chuck Pagano in recent weeks kind of opt more towards 
blitzing inside linebackers. And it's not always a five or six man rush, but just, you know, dropping another outside linebacker and sending an inside guy. You know, Kevin Pierre Lewis, who's filling in for Roquan Smith, he blitzed like 16 times last week alone or 15 times just in that game. And he got like five pressures. I mean, more, more than Khalil Mack in that game, just be from blitzing up the middle with the inside linebacker. And the other, the other linebacker, Nick Kwiatkowski, he's been pretty effective at getting after the quarterback too in, in, very limited sample sizes. So uh, they've been trying to get pass rush coming from different ways, and that's helped, but it hasn't really been the the truly dominant front that the Bears were hoping to see. And then on the back end, there there is vulnerability there. You know, where Kyle Fuller will give up yards, and this has just been a, a defense that's really held up in the red zone and, and not allowed you know, those long drives to always become touchdowns. Even Eddie Jackson at safety hasn't been quite the the top flight safety that he's been in years past. So it's been a defense that has kind of held it all together despite guys not necessarily playing up to the level as they were before. And you kind of just scheme it up well and do, do just enough at just the right times to make enough plays here and there to kind of keep their offense in games. But it's been a little bit shakier at times than it was last year. And, and that's, that's a concern uh, at any time when you're coming in to play a Green Bay Packers offense that's historically had some success against this team. I'm wondering, you know, we talked about this week one, uh, and, I, and I asked you this question, but my guess is, well, maybe it hasn't changed, but I, I think it's appropriate because both of these teams look a lot different than they did in week one. If you were going to advise the Packers coaching staff on where the single biggest weakness, whether it was something on offense or something on defense, wherever that single biggest weakness is that Green Bay could effectively attack, where are you advising Green Bay to attack? That's a good question because there's there are weaknesses on this team, but it's not as though there's like one like for example, they haven't gotten much production from the tight end position. It's been a big weakness, but that's not necessarily something to uh, attack. I mean, I would probably point to the right side of the offensive line right now with Rashad Coward at right guard and Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. Bobby Massey's been dealing with, I believe, a concussion and it's or an ankle injury, and it's not clear yet whether or not he's going to be able to go for this one. It's a little bit too early in the week. They haven't heard. He didn't practice at all last week, and I, I imagine it'll still be a little bit before he's able to go. So that that right side of the offensive line in particular has been vulnerable. But I, you know, I still feel like until further notice, Mitchell Trubisky making him have to beat you is still, I think, the way to go. Because even that Giants game last week, a lot of his yards were after the catch. And he, he, the playmakers were making guys miss tackles and, and being able to get a five-yard slant into a 15-yard first down and be able to do more than they've done for most of the season. And I just wonder if you can truly make Trubisky's throws have to be what beats you. I'm, I'm curious to see at this point, if he can do that, because I think we don't have enough of a sample size behind it that it, it, it really with the Bears, it all comes back to Mitchell Trubisky all so often. I mean, you, you know that. <laughs> I do. And, and Mike Patton has taken a number of different approaches to it. You know, early, early in his career, it was, you know, uh, rush four and drop seven. And when Green Bay didn't have a, a, as good a pass rush, that was a little bit less affected. It was more about the coverage. Now, I mean, Mike Patton, in, in some of these key situations, I mean, we saw it against Washington last week. They had a four-man rush with Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, and Rashawn Gary. All four guys won their matchups. 
and it was meet at the quarterback. I mean, that is the kind of thing that that some of these four man pressures can create for Green Bay. And when you're when you can get pressure with four like that, I mean, look, you know this. The Bears last year were like this. They didn't have to blitz because with four guys, they could get home consistently. I'm not sure there's a bigger advantage outside of having an elite quarterback than having a defense that can consistently pressure a team with four. So we'll see we'll see what Mike Pettin wants to do here. It's still early in the week. We don't know what what is going on with the injury situation, but just give me your early lean Packers open. It originally opened at minus seven. It's now more like four and a half, five for Green Bay. What is your feel for how this game is going to play out? It's hard for me to go into a Bears Packers matchup super confident. It's been pretty well ingrained over the last my entire lifetime. Uh, <laughs> that Green Bay is is going to be the favorite team and is going to be in a position to win. So I I still think Green Bay is likely going to win this game. I think the Bears will keep it close. I think it will have some similarities to the first game where that neither team is going to be able to quite do everything that they want to, and it will end up being some kind of sloppy football here and there. But I think eventually there'll be some points scored, and I, I see I see Green Bay by you know somewhere in that three to four point range, you know a twenty four twenty, a twenty seventeen, twenty one seventeen type thing. I think the Bears will get some offense going. We've seen Trubisky's legs in particular starting to come back into the offense, and they'll they'll move the ball here and there. And Green Bay's defense has had some vulnerability, but I just don't think you can hold down Aaron Rodgers and company for four quarters, especially with the way they've been playing lately. Well, and if it does come down to a field goal, that do I need to even need to finish the sentence? <laughs> well, we know who has the advantage there. So, <laughs> Lauren, this is great. I uh, appreciate you taking the time and uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. All right, I want to thank Lauren again for joining the show. Always great to talk to him. And I think it's going to be an intense game on Sunday. Playoff atmosphere, you heard Lauren talk about it. it that is exactly right. And And in a given season, It is usually a playoff atmosphere when the Packers and Bears come together, but both teams still in the playoff race, somewhat similar to last year. If Green Bay beats Chicago, it essentially ends their season, and Green Bay has the chance to to bolster their playoff seating with a win. The Bears trying to keep their playoff hopes alive, always trying to play spoiler with Green Bay. So this is going to be a fun game. It's going to be a nerve-wracking game for fans, that's for sure. And as I said yesterday, it's an opportunity for Green Bay to really put on a a, a statement-type performance. We haven't seen it in a while. We haven't seen them really find a groove. And maybe this this resolve that Matt LaFleur showed, this this extra work, the the expediency with which he went back to try and correct what happened in Washington to evaluate what's going on there, maybe that gives them a little bit of extra juice this week as they take on a division rival. We're going to be back tomorrow. Remember the live show on Friday, 4 Central, 5 Eastern on Periscope. Follow me on Twitter to make sure you don't miss that, at Peter underscore Bukowski. I know a a couple of you have mentioned that you missed it. That's okay. You can go back and watch it. It's still on. You can go back and watch it right now if you wanted, the old one. You can't watch the one that hasn't happened yet. That would be weird. But just go to the Periscope app, find my username, at Peter underscore Bukowski, same as my Twitter handle, and you can find those shows so you can watch them if you do miss them live. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter, at LockedOnPackers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find LockedOnPackers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the LockedOnPackers fan hotline, you can do that, 920 341 
3775 to stay locked on Packers.